Hey there, my name is Roy and I'm the lead pastor here at Arthur Pentecostal Assembly. We're glad you joined us today, that you're watching from home to our online service and we, we hope that you're blessed by, by the message. We're in part seven, the final, uh, final uh, part of our seven part series on, on this series that we've been in for, for a while now called Dear Church. Well, in a small country town, Miss Jones had the distinction of being the eldest person in her town. So when she died, the editor of the newspaper wanted to print a little article remembering this dear old lady, except he couldn't think of anything to say uh, or, or he did, when he sat down to write the article. Miss Jones had never done anything really terribly wrong. Uh, she'd never spent a night in jail. She'd never even been drunk before. On the other hand, she'd never done anything really significant either. And, and with this still in his mind, the editor went to the local cafe and there he ran into the local funeral director. And he too was having the same trouble. He was trying to figure out what he was going to put on, on Nancy's, Miss Nancy Jones's tombstone. And all he could come up with was Miss Nancy Jones born such and such a date, died such and such a date. He couldn't think of anything else to write either. So the editor decided to go back to the office and he assigned the job of writing a small article for the newspaper and what to put on the tombstone to the first reporter he saw. When he got to the office, he ran into the sports editor who got the assignment. So somewhere in some little community, there's a tombstone which reads, Here lie the bones of Nancy Jones, for her life held no terrors. She lived an old maid, she died an old maid. No hits, no runs, no errors. Does that describe you today? Maybe you've never done anything really that bad, but you've never really done anything of major significance in your life for God. This morning, we're looking at this last of seven letters to the churches in Revelation that Jesus wrote to them. And these letters were written specifically for these churches for what they were going through in that time. But more than that, we've been dissecting what does it mean for Arthur Pentecostal Assembly. So today we're going to be looking at the passage in Revelation chapter 3, a passage that many of us are familiar with, or at least some of the phrasing in that passage. Most famously, Jesus uses this word lukewarm where he speaks about being either hot or cold or lukewarm in the middle. So we're going to unpack some of that today. I don't know about you, but in the morning, uh, especially a cold morning, there's nothing better to start your, your day than a, a hot cup of coffee. It, it just jump starts your day, but it, it feels like it warms up your soul. There, I remember there were some, some days where my wife Jenna and I, we would go to my, my son Mason's football games when he was younger, and they were in the fall, and, and you'd be out in this open field, and the wind would be kind of cutting through. You'd be so cold, and it's that, that warm cup of coffee felt like it was the only thing keeping you alive in that moment. Or maybe your thing is iced coffee. That's not me. My, my wife, Jen, loves iced coffee. But as far as iced drinks go, I can understand, like, after working out or playing sports, there's nothing better than a cold, ice-cold water. One thing I think we all agree on, lukewarm coffee lukewarm iced coffee, room temperature water, not that desirable. I mean, there's a reason why advertising companies don't use the word lukewarm when they're, when they're advertising their products. Uh, a lukewarm Coca-Cola just doesn't have a, the same appeal as ice cold Coca-Cola. Lukewarm cup of coffee sold here just doesn't attract customer loyalty. And what I've never seen anyone do is this. I've never seen anyone take a hot coffee and take a, an iced coffee and, a, and pour them together or vice versa. 
It's, this, this is the image, though, that Jesus lays out when he speaks to the church of Laodicea. And what he has to say to them, he also says to us. Let me show you Revelation chapter 3, as Jesus speaks the final word to the final church in Revelation. He says this, starting verse 14. Write this letter to the angel in the church of Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. I know all the things you do, that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other. But since you are lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say I'm rich, I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize you're actually wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also buy white garments from me, so you will not be ashamed by your nakedness. An ointment for your eyes, so you'll be able to see. We're going to pause there for a moment. Why is Jesus talking about gold and ointment and blindness and nakedness? Well, in each of the letters Jesus wrote to the churches, the different churches, he pointed to the culture that was around that particular church. He compared the world that they knew to their own spiritual truth. By pointing out to the things in the world around them, it was Jesus' way of saying, I see you, I know you, I'm familiar with your world, I know what you're going through, I love you, so listen to what I have to say. That's the same for you. Jesus sees you. He knows your world. He knows your personal circumstances. He knows the things you struggle with. He knows the things that hold you back. He knows the things that keep you up at night worrying. Laodicea was known for a few things. They were known for their finances. They were known for their fashion. And they were known for their, their medicine. And what Jesus does is he takes these three things and he addresses them. He addresses their finances. See, Laodicea was a rich city. They were the center of two major trade routes, one going north-south, one going east-west. And this allowed them to sell and sell a lot and prosper, as a matter of fact. They were famous for their black wool. They sold and traded marble and cattle and grain as well. Laodicea was incredibly wealthy. They were so wealthy, in fact, that an earthquake hit Laodicea in, in 60 AD that completely decimated the entire, the entire city. And so Rome came in and offered them financial assistance to help them rebuild, and they proudly were able to reject Rome's offer and, and, and finance the rebuild themselves. Not only rebuild it, but rebuild it bigger and better. And so Jesus says to them, knowing, knowing how they, they took pride in their, in their riches, he says, you say I'm rich, I have everything I want, I don't need a thing. And you don't realize you are wretched and miserable and poor. You, your richness actually masks your spiritual condition. Laodicea was known for their fashion. Like I said before, they were famous for their black wool. Fabric and textiles were the, their most important uh, export. They took incredible pride in being a capital of fashion. And then Jesus comes along and he says, buy your white garments from me so that you will not be ashamed of your nakedness. Laodicea was also famous for their medical. They produced an ointment, or some, some versions called a salve, and it was revolutionary in treating eye diseases. And so while they were, they were priding themselves in opening people's eyes, Jesus calls them blind, spiritually. 
So he takes these three things they're known for that they take pride in, and he holds them up as reasons uh, for having all they need, and then he challenges them. See, this message, is, it should be encouraging, but it also should be very challenging. Because we can easily, just by the fact that we live in North America, fall into the same trap as the Laodiceans. Because of the culture, because of the country we live in, we can be very comfortable and not see that we are, we are suffering spiritually. Here's what he says next in verse 19. I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. Again, this is Jesus calling for repentance. If you, if you were with us last week, we've talked about how repentance is this reoccurring theme that goes throughout all the letters. And he says, turn around from your indifference. Turn around from your apathy. Repent. See, repentance is something that you do when you give your life to Jesus, but it's not a one-time deal. Repentance as a Christian is something that I need to do regularly, maybe daily. And it's not a bad thing. It's just acknowledging that as hard as I try, I miss the mark at times. I am not perfect, and I need to turn back. I need to turn around. My wife, Jen, and I just recently bought kayaks, and we're learning how to use them. We're learning how to paddle. We're, we're trying to paddle. As you're paddling, you'll, you'll see in the distance a goal. I want to paddle to that spot. And you want to, if you, to paddle a straight line to that spot is it's almost impossible. There's so many factors at play. If you over paddle a little bit on one side, you've got to kind of correct it by over paddling on the other side. Or if there's a wave or if there's a strong wind, it'll kind of just push you off course and you've got to sort of correct yourself and go as hard as you can to correct back on the course. But that's all repentance is. It's not a bad thing. As much as you try, you will never be perfect. It's acknowledging that though, that if I don't correct course, if I don't turn back to the goal and I allow myself to drift, I'm going to end up somewhere that I didn't intend to be. But if I turn back, if, if, I, if, I, if I correct course, I'll be back on track and headed towards the goal. Verse 20 says, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. The goal that God had when he inspired John to write the book of Revelation was intimacy. He corrects us so that we can have intimacy. God challenges us, challenges us so that we can be close to him. God disciplines us because he wants better things for us. You see, the best parents are the ones that love their children, but understand that their role in their kids' lives is parent first, friend second. When they mix that up, anytime you see a parent that is more concerned about being their child's friend than in the parent role in which they've been entrusted to, you will see a dysfunctional relationship that ultimately is not beneficial for the child. God loves you too much and wants too much for you to put that first. He stands and knocks at the door. He wants a relationship with you. Verse 21. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. See, we need, to, we need to hear what God wants to say to APA today. We, won't, we have to have ears that hear what the Spirit is saying. Let's hear what Jesus says. But more than that, because one thing to hear what Jesus, Jesus says, it's another to have a heart that responds to what he says. Here's a few things that he says in this letter and what he's saying to the churches. The first one, admittedly, this one's a little bit harsh. 
It may even come across as offensive, but we're not a church that waters down uh, the Bible. We're committed to teaching what the Bible says, even if, it, even if it stings a little bit, because God knows what we need. And we're not going to dull it down, but with a little bit of context, and you know where it's coming from, here we go. First statement. We have the ability to discuss God. We have an ability to discuss God. Church, you have the ability to discuss God. Christian, you have the ability to discuss God. Roy, I have the ability to discuss God. And, and you know, when I hear you hear that at first, it, it makes you maybe breathe a little bit heavier. Maybe it makes you, you squirm a little bit. Let me explain. You do not discuss God because of who you are. It's the things that we do. It's my apathy. It's my greed. It's my anger. It's my jealousy. It's my pride. It's my insecurity. It's not me. Parents, you understand this. There's nothing that your kids will cause your kids. There's nothing that your kids will do that cause you to feel poorly about who they are. It's the actions that they do sometimes that cause you a little bit of distress. For example, anytime you hear on the news that there's been a murder, the murderer has parents. And if you see them get interviewed later on, they seem so conflicted. They don't endorse the, the, the action of their child. They're actually downright disgusted by, by the thing that their child has done. But it's still their child. And they love them, but it's still there's, you can just see the conflict on their face. God will never be disgusted by you. But your actions can cause him to be grieved. And so when we decide that we want to take godliness and mix it with the things in our culture that, that are not good for us or not to our benefit, and we talked about this. Those, say, those that say, I don't want to be too Christian. I want a bit of this, and I want a bit of that, and, and I want a little bit of sin, and I want a little bit of holiness. And it's when they try to mix it, it, Jesus says, you are my child. I love you. But your lack of commitment, your inability to follow me, causes me to want to spit you out. It's gross. If you leave a hot coffee out long enough, it will become room temperature. Have you ever drank you ever picked up a coffee thinking it was still warm and you took a big chug and, and realized that it was not, it was like room temperature and it, it makes you want to spit it out. One time we were sitting down to dinner at my house and um, my daughter Janelle, who is constantly playing pranks on us and for some reason I tend to be uh, her favorite target. Well, unbeknownst to me, she set the table and in my drink, instead of water, she filled it with vinegar. And so I'm eating, and I grab my glass of water. And you would think I would have smelt the vinegar smell. Well, I don't really make it a habit to smell my water before I drink it. That's just kind of weird. I grabbed the glass, and I chugged it back as, as I would normally do, thinking it was going to be some cold, fresh water. And when that vinegar hit my taste buds, and I didn't expect it, I spit it out and I gagged and I, just, I, didn't, I was confused. I didn't know what, what had happened. It was unsettling to say the least. The rest of my family, they thought it was great. But it's shocking when you're, not the, when you're the only one who's not in on the joke. But that's the instinct that Jesus has when he sees our apathy. And the Laodiceans, they understood this. Here's why. Laodicea is in this valley between two mountain ranges. To the north was a town called Heropolis. Up on the mountain. 
And they were known for their hot springs. People would come from all over to soak in their hot springs. They believed it had medicinal purposes, medicinal value. And they, they would heal, it would heal their aches and their pains and their, their joint pain, their, some of their skin issues. And on the other side, the other mountain to the, to the south was Colossae. Colossae was known for its cold springs. The water was refreshing and clean. And people would come to Colossae and they would bring home water from Colossae. And Colossae would actually ship water out to other, other parts of the region. Laodicea, for all, they were, all the good they were known for, did not have good water. Laodicea had the hot water from, from Heropolis flow down into Laodicea and filled with sulfur deposits and, and the cold water from Colossae would flow down from the other side and, and, and into the mountain and they would mix together. And what you would have was lukewarm, disgusting, undrinkable water. If you drank it, you'd spit it out. And so Jesus says, I don't expect you to be the perfect church. I don't expect you to be the perfect person. I don't expect you to always get it right. But what I don't want is for you to take the things of this world that are not good for you and mix them with the things of God, and the result is something nobody wants. It's disgusting. I want your whole heart. I want your passion. I want your devotion. I want you, you to be hot. You, you are no good to anyone if you're lukewarm. He actually says, I'd rather you be one or the other. You know, as a youth pastor for years, I, I found it easier to minister to, to, to two groups of teens. The first was the red-hot Christian teens who were just like, they were passionate and, and, and ready to serve and ready to give and just, just be used in any way they can to serve, to serve God. The second group that was easier to minister was, were the cold ones. The ones that had decided they didn't want anything to do with God, they were, but they were far more opening, open to hearing the message, message of Jesus and wrestling with it, even if they didn't agree with everything. That I can work with. The hardest group to reach was the kids who grew up in a Christian home who didn't care about church, but had to come. They desensitized themselves to the Bible, to, to the message, to the worship, because they were apathetic to it all. They, they, they didn't see any value in it. They were already said this, they've already decided that I've heard this story before, I've heard this, and this, this has no value in my life. They are the hardest to reach, the lukewarm. Same goes with adults. Jesus says, I'd rather you be hot or cold. Apathy is the devil's greatest tool. That's where you're the least threatening. You're a threat when you're all in. You're a threat to the devil when you're all in. You're, you're a potential threat when you're out, and you just haven't encountered the life-changing message of Jesus. But when you sit on the fence, it's exactly where the devil wants you. Jesus uses this illustration that everyone from, Leo, from Laodicea would understand. Hot or cold, I have use for either. But I spit out this mix of godliness and worldliness. Laodicea fell into this trap thinking they could rely on their wealth and their success. They were a very successful city. But you can, but you can be successful and useless at the same time. You can be successful and useless. You can accomplish lots but spiritually come up void. Jesus once said it himself, what does it prosper a man or a woman to gain the whole world and yet lose your soul? And he says to the church in Laodicea, I see what you're doing. You're doing lots, but spiritually, you're useless. You look like the rest of the world. Young people, if you're listening, I hope you achieve everything you hope to achieve. I hope you're successful in whatever, uh, whatever path life takes you on. 
But if you take your eyes off Jesus, it doesn't matter how many zeros are behind that number in your bank account. It doesn't matter how many bedrooms are in your house. It doesn't matter how, how many articles they write about you in the magazine. You will never be fulfilled. Uh, you will never be fulfilled unless you come in sync with the God in heaven, the, the one who created you and understands what you were created for. Don't be successful, yet useless. One more thing Jesus communicates. It's possible to do church without Jesus. It is. Now, I don't think APA is doing this. I think, in fact, we're doing a great job of keeping Jesus at the center of everything here. But in this passage, we see the Christians inside the church, inside the church and they're doing, but Jesus is on the outside. He's outside the church knocking. See, it's possible to go through the motions. It's possible to sing songs about Jesus, talk about Jesus, claim to want to be more like Jesus, and you're not realizing that we haven't invited Jesus into what we're doing. And he's outside knocking. Let me brag on APA for a moment. Do you know why this pandemic hasn't knocked APA completely off mission? Because in the, fact, the past 15 months, you have continued to serve in any way that you can, even when you felt handcuffed at times. You gave to the needy. You helped those that were sick. You served those that were hurting. You've continued to support our church and the ministries our church supports. Your prayer meetings are, are better attended more now than ever. You've chosen to keep Jesus at the center of all we do, and you've actively sought out his leading, even when we didn't know what to do next or what tomorrow was going to bring. I'm proud to be part of this church. Let me give you three questions to ponder as we close out this series. Number one, what are some ways I could be more useful to the kingdom? Notice I didn't say, what more can I do? Some of you do a lot. Some of, some of you don't. Some of you need to step up. Some of you, on the other hand, need to seek where God would put you and use your giftings. Number two, is Jesus knocking on my heart, trying to get my attention? Am, am I going through the motions and doing what seems to be the right things, or, but I'm ignoring Jesus at the door? And number three, what is Jesus saying to his church at Arthur Pentecostal Assembly right now? That, that's a question that we continually need to be wrestling with. What is Jesus saying for us right now in this next season? What does he want us to be doing? And how does he want us to be impacting this community? This is a question I want you to ponder over. I want you to discuss uh, later today, maybe, maybe over a meal. Call someone, have that conversation. See, these seven letters to the church... They were to the church, not the outside. We need to start being accountable just for us. We need to start sensing the urgency for those that are lost. We need to be committed to hearing what God is saying in our lives individually and as a church. The time to play church is over. And here's what I believe. If we're committed to hearing God's voice, committed to doing rather than just talking, we will start to see lives changed for the, to the glory of God. We'll see addictions broken. We'll see hope restored. We will see people baptized. And we will see people set free. Let's pray. Father God, let us not be lukewarm in what we do, in who we are. Let us be hot. Let us be completely just passionate and committed for the glory of you. And God, I pray that there's, there's 
that we would be so committed that uh, we would continue to seek ways in which we can impact our community. There's too much at stake right now for us to, to spend another day lukewarm sitting on the fence. And so, God, I pray that we would do whatever it is we need to do and, and repent and turn back towards you if we find ourselves in that spot. As a church, God, I pray that we would be a church that would be completely all-in, committed. We, we, would, we would sense the urgency of those that don't know you and, and share the hope that we, that we keep inside of us. And so, God, I pray in the coming days that we would see revival in our communities around us. And Lord, we would, be, you, we would allow you to use us in any way we can to accomplish your will. Amen.